Hello and welcome to the Anchor Faith Message Podcast. Enjoy this message. Well, my name is Joshua Clay. Um, some of you may know me, but I work here at Anchor Faith Church, and um, I just wanted to say, I love Anchor Faith Church. I owe everything that I am as a man of God to Anchor Faith Church and our pastors, Pastor Earl and Marcy. I'm a product of Anchor Faith Church. I went to the Bible school here that we have, Kingdom Institute. I, uh, I, I teach in our Mighty Men's. I've gone through our whole Mighty Men's course. And I'm thankful for the investment that our church has made. Did you know you're part of a good church? This place is the real deal. Is it your first time here this morning? Raise your hand if it's your first time at Anchor Faith Church. We're excited you're with us. This is a good day. Man, I'm thankful for our pastors. You know, right now they're in Oklahoma. They're going to be ministering at Rama Bible Church for their camp meeting. So proud of them. So excited. Pastor Hagen had said, let's remind you know, of the church body to um, pray over Pastor Earl that he'd speak with boldness Wednesday night. So let's remember that as we go throughout our week. Let's pray that Pastor Earl ministers the word of God with boldness and with power. And... Um, you know, as, as we just continue on this thing with the kingdom and the course that God has for us this year with the theme, does anybody know the theme that we have at Anchor Faith Church? Seated, right? And we know that God's seated on the throne, but today I want to talk about the forgotten throne. The forgotten throne. See, something happened to me back in you know, whenever pastor released the kingdom message for the first time. I was born in church. To give you a little background on myself, I was born and raised in church. I'm pretty sure that as soon as my mom gave birth to me, they like wheeled her into the church, not home, and we sat through a whole service. So I, I've been around this thing for a while, but I realized whenever I heard the message of the kingdom for the first time, it changed me. All that I'd known about God, I grew up in a church that taught word of faith, that taught about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It, it, it gave me the whole thing. But when I heard the kingdom message, it made everything that I'd ever learned come to life. It made sense of the whole Bible. Has anybody ever read through the Old Testament and thought, what am I reading? What is this? And you're not raising your hand, you're lying. You read through Isaiah, don't tell me you get every single thing. Like, whoa, hallelujah, this, I get this. You read some of those prophets and the guy had to cook his food over his poop, and you're like, yeah, amen. I get but when I got the kingdom message, all of a sudden the whole Bible made sense to me. Even though I loved God, even though I knew who Jesus was, I actually wasn't taught who he really was. See, we misunderstand Jesus whenever we view him as a man that lived, you know, 2,000 years ago and walked on the planet for 33 years. But you know, he was somebody before that. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God, then in verse 14, it says the word became flesh. Who is that? So before he showed up on the planet, he was somebody from the beginning. And you know that somebody that he was, he still is today, right now. It's just as real. He's just as real right now, this morning, that he was in the very beginning when he was the word. He's still the word. Amen. So do you need Jesus? Yes. Why? Because he's the word and you need the word. So we have to know who Jesus is. I, 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 I realized when the kingdom message came out, the more I learned about the kingdom, the more it pushes religion out of my life. I was religious, and I didn't think I was. But I was until I heard the kingdom. I know that whenever you know, I was growing up, people would say, you've got to talk to people about Jesus. You've know, you got to go witness him. Can, can anybody testify, have you done this? Gone door to door with your church and knocked on the door and said, hi, do you know Jesus? We did that. You know, as a teenager, I thought... What am I doing? Like we'd say, you know, you need Jesus. And the, uh, you know, where are you going to go when you die? And they'd be like, who cares? I'm not going to die right now. I'm thinking, 
Well, that was my only argument. So you need him though. It's important. And that was all that I had. And then people would tell me when I was growing up, you know, we were created for worship. One day we'll go to heaven and we'll be up there and we'll be singing holy, holy, holy for all eternity at the Lord's feet. And you know, if we really think about it, that sounds really boring. Seriously, I love singing. Y'all see me up on stage Sundays, Wednesdays. I sing and I love to sing. But the thought of all eternity singing the same chorus over and over forever had no draw for me. But it wasn't until I learned in the kingdom that God created these special beings in heaven with like a bazillion eyes all over them that fly around the throne and their job is to sing holy, holy, holy. I realized that's not my job. God must have a different job for me in the kingdom. Thank God. I don't want to just sing holy, holy, holy for that. Those streets of gold. Can't see him though. He's going to be singing the whole time. That's terrible. Come on, we got to get into the word and find out what is God saying about us? Where do we fit in? So one of the biggest questions that mankind can ask is, why are we here? Why are we here on the planet? And the problem is, people can give their opinions about this. You can read commentaries about people's, you know, what they think that God really needed from man. But at the end of the day, why don't we just let God answer his own questions? And I found in the first page of the whole Bible... And in the first chapter, God answers that specific question. So we're going to go somewhere that most of you at Anchor Faith Church have been before. But did you know his word's alive? It's active. It's living. And we're going to get something this morning out of this that you've never gotten before. I believe it. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, 26. It says, and God said, who said this? God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, who's he talking about? He's the Trinity, right? The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. There, he speaks within himself. He says, let us make man in our image, just like us. The way that we operate, the things that we do, let's make him like that. Now, we just sang the song about the king is among us, right? And he's seated on a throne. So God, the king on the throne, says, let's make man just like us. So for God to fulfill that, he would have to make man a king? Yes. No, no, it's going we're going I promise we'll be out by three o'clock, but you gotta give me more than that. He says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them what? Rule. rule. Let them what? Rule. Not just worship, but rule. Now we are created for worship. Let's not, I wanna, I wanna get this clear. Worship is not singing songs. For you to be a true worshiper, it doesn't matter if you're down here jumping around like a spaz and worshiping and getting, that's, that's fine. And God loves that expression of praise and worship. But true worshipers in the original Hebrew, the word worship means to bow the knee and kiss the hand. So if you think about, has anybody ever seen like a Robin Hood movie or like a medieval movie? Okay. Like picture in your mind a king. And if you go up to a king and you bow your knee and you kiss the hand of the king, what is that a symbol of? Submission to their rulership. So were you created for worship? Absolutely, you were created for worship. You were created to live a life submitted to the king. And when Jesus said, I'm looking for true worshipers who will worship me in spirit and in truth, what does he mean? Somebody that will come to him and submit to his way of living in his kingdom. That's what he wants. But we'll keep going. I have like 30 scriptures. This is going to be awesome. He says, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over all the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created them both male and female. He created them. So God originally planned that I'm going to make the planet and I'm going to make it to be inhabited. And then I'm going to put man there and he will rule and dominate planet earth. 
God's original intentions and his original plan for man never changed. It's eternal. His original plan is his eternal plan. So if God created man on the planet to rule the planet, think about it. Where did he make Adam? In the garden, right? He formed him out of the dust of the earth. And then he gave him his purpose here on the earth. So that means mankind, you and me, we were made out of the earth for the earth to be placed in the earth with a purpose to fulfill here. Even though Adam failed and ate the fruit, that didn't change God's eternal plan for man. That is that man would live here on this planet and rule as a king in God's kingdom. I'm listening because I'm, I'm listening to see if there's any, uh, what? Because I'm telling you, the more, the more that I learned about this kingdom, the more I realized I had religion up in me. And I needed to get into this word and find out what is God actually saying? What is the truth he's really trying to tell me about how to live, how to operate? Because every time this word is brought up, anytime that we open the word of God and begin to teach from it, whether it's Pastor Earl, Pastor Marcy, Pastor Mike and Angie, whoever it is that steps up here, the word of God's always going to do two things. It's either going to form a brand new belief in you that will shape the way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you operate in life, or it will strengthen a belief that you already had that will in turn help how you think, It'll help how you act, how you behave, what you do on the planet. So it's important that we draw on and say, God, what is your kingdom? What is my assignment right now for your kingdom? Too much of religion was telling me when I die, that would be when it gets better. See, when you go, has anybody ever sat through an altar call and they said, if you were to die right now, where would you be? What if you walked out the door, brother, and a car smashed you and you just, and you were dead. You didn't know, would you be in the presence of God? And that was the best that we could offer the world. It goes over well in nursing homes because they're thinking about it. But it doesn't go over that well with my friends who are thinking, whoa, we're, we're living life. We're invincible. Let's go on. Who cares about dying? When, if you get the real message that God brought to the planet and get the real message that Jesus was bringing, it's more about how you live now than it is about what happens after that. So if we're going to look at a few more examples of showing that this Bible is about a kingdom government, not about a religion, then we'd have to look at Isaiah 9.6. Isaiah 9.6. Yes. That's seven. That's not six. <laughs> but he says, Unto, that's my fault. Unto us a child will be born and a son will be given. Who is that son? Jesus. Jesus. So we're talking about Jesus. And he says, unto us a child will be born and the son will be given. And the government, say government. government. The government will rest on his shoulders. So Jesus was born bringing the government or the kingdom of God. Another example that shows us is Psalm 115, 16. It says, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. The earth belongs to man. So again, as we go over this in our minds and trying to figure out why are we here, what is the purpose that we have, I want to go back to Genesis 126 and, and pull a little section out that we can camp on for a moment because I'm getting somewhere today. Amen. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis 126. God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let, what is that word? Amen. Them. Now I find it interesting that he used the word them and not us. He's talking about us. Let us make man in our image. Let us do this. Then he says, but let them rule. See, had he said us, he would have included himself 
in the authority structure of this planet, but he didn't. Come on. He said, let them rule. Who's he talking about? Us, mankind, let man rule the planet. That means from that moment when man entered the planet, God created him. Who had the right to say what happens on planet Earth? Man. This is good. It's better than, than your amen for sure. But I know I'm from Oklahoma and I'm doing a little bit of religious cow tipping. It's okay. It's happening this morning. We're going to kick it over. But he says, let them rule. That means that whatever happens on planet Earth is the responsibility of one entity, and it's not God. So if you're asking, why does God let things happen? Why, does he let, why is he letting this go on in our world? Why is he letting these people die? Why is he, why is he, he's not the one that was originally responsible. Yeah. Who's responsible? Yeah. Us. This is our job. But apparently we've forgotten that there's another throne. We have no problem going, singing songs. Nothing's impossible for God. Yes, he's the king. He's the king of all the world. You know, he's up there thro enthroned and seated. But we forget that right next to his throne is another throne. This is good. You know, Jesus, when he came preaching the kingdom, that was his message. If you read through the Bible, has anybody ever read through the entire Bible? We're going to have proud participation today. I'm going to have hands. You know, I may end up calling Austin Wood up here at some point. I don't know. It's going to get wild. <laughs> but reading through the Bible, you'll realize that when Jesus was talking, if you pay attention to who he's talking to, when he's talking, and what he's talking about, he was always talking to the crowds of people about the kingdom of God. He gave examples. The kingdom is like this. Why? Because he, uh, he knew. You're going to forget about the kingdom if I don't remind you. But the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like a man that finds a pearl. The kingdom of God is like a man that finds a treasure. The kingdom of God is like this person who has oil and a bunch of, you know, virgins that are invited to a party. And there's endless examples, but that's all he ever preached to the crowds. Now, he opened up some, some, some other mysteries and things to his disciples privately, but the good news that he had to tell the crowds was about the kingdom of God. And here's the problem. What we want to do is we want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because we've been commissioned to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But whenever we're going out there and preaching, somehow we've turned it into the gospel about Jesus Christ. It's kind of like if I told you something over and over, like, hey, I always tell you, you're awesome. Rufino, you're awesome. You're awesome, Rufino. That's the good news. Today, it's going to be a great day. You're awesome. And I was always telling him that. And then I said, Rufino, go tell the people what I tell you. Tell them my good news that I tell you. And he went out and goes, well, Josh was born in 1987. And his mom, you know, took him to church, his mom and dad, and began to tell my life story. He would not be telling my good news. He would be telling them about me. So instead of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, his gospel, for some reason over time, the church as a whole has begun preaching about Jesus instead of what he preached about. Because I, it's also interesting when you read through there, Jesus always, always talked about our conduct here on the planet. Never did he give you advice of how to conduct yourself once you're in heaven. So... If the emphasis has always been what happens when we go and we need to get out of here and we need to go back up there, then Jesus really missed his whole assignment. 
right? I mean, if the whole point was that we would know that he was coming to die for our sins and be buried and resurrected so that we could go to heaven, he forgot to tell us while he was on the planet. He forgot. His one message that apparently he was supposed to preach, he didn't preach. Obviously, we know Jesus didn't mess up his assignment. Obviously, I'm just kidding because we know Jesus came and did the perfect will of the Father. Just like Pastor Earl ministered on Wednesday, God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He emphasized, man, this guy has done everything I've asked him to do to the letter. So we know Jesus didn't miss it, which means somewhere along the lines, we missed it. If we're going to have a revival showing up in our city and a revival in our own homes and in our lives, we need to revive the original plan that was set from the beginning, which is God's kingdom established on the planet. And it starts in your life, it starts in your home, and then it filters out from there. But we have to remember, Jesus came preaching this gospel, empowering how you live now. It's way more about what you do now than it is about what you do then, later. That's what we call the death gospel. If you were to die, where would you go? People are dying right now. People living, walking around, breathing with their eyes open, yet they're dead on the inside. Are we going to bring life to them? I mean, (laughs) the kingdom set me free. It changed me. I realize it's no longer about me just telling somebody, hey, someday when you die, where do you go? It's about me saying, hey, your life is terrible right now, and I can fix it right now with a word from the Lord. I know what your problem is. You're looking at the news. You're seeing what's going on with the government, and I'm bringing you something better, a different government. Jesus came bringing the kingdom of God, the government. We'll get into the notes for today. It's fine. I'll I'll get... Make you feel more comfortable if it makes you feel like we've started. We haven't started yet. But this is good. we got to have a revival in us that we're going to take God's kingdom somewhere. We're not just taking that he was dead and he was buried and he's raised and you can go to heaven. That's not the goal. Heaven is not our goal. Do we understand this? There's songs. You turn on the Christian radio. Oh, man, that's a bold move to turn on the Christian radio. But there's stuff out there. They're saying all the things. And it ain't lining up with anything I'm reading. Like someday when we're home, where was Adam's home? Where was Adam's home? Somebody. It was here on earth. Did God give Adam some some substandard way of living or did God really give Adam his very best? So God's very best for the very first man when he created the planet was that he would live here and that he would operate in a purpose here on the planet and that he would have communication with God constantly but while he was here so if we were to give an example about being restored has anybody ever heard this phrase Jesus came to restore us back to God yes we have what about redeem these things start with a little prefix for any of my Washington students that are in here we're going to have a little lesson R-E does anybody know what that means it means to go back to something If Jesus came to restore your life, that means he's coming to bring you back to something that you've lost. When Adam ate the fruit, he didn't fall from religion. He didn't fall from forgetting how to sing worship songs. What he fell from was the right to rule and dominate life here on the planet. He fell from that. And like I said, God's original plan was that he would rule The planet. So when Adam fell, what did he fall from? Rulership, which means if I have my Bible and my perfect will, my perfect will, all that I want is for this Bible to be seating right here on my podium. 
and it does something stupid and it finds itself on the ground for me to pick it up and say you know you're just gonna be with me this is what you need you didn't do a very good job there I wanted you there but now I'm just gonna keep you with me and we're gonna be together this is great we're no longer separated I wouldn't have restored where this was coming from for me to restore means wherever it fell to I would have to pick it up and place it back in the exact same position that it fell from so when mankind fell God's whole plan the whole Bible we read from Genesis 2 all the way to the end of Revelation is God getting man back to exactly where he fell from come on we talk about how the Bible is the first two chapters are the perfect chapters right because God had his perfect plan then the last two chapters of the Bible are also called perfect chapters because they are man back in the plan so everything else we read in the middle, everything that Jesus did, nobody's belittling the work that Jesus did. The work that he did when he was you know, murdered on the cross and that he, when he died and was buried and resurrected, that was vitally necessary for the kingdom of God to show up in your life. You cannot have salvation to get back in the kingdom without that. You have to be born again. But that wasn't his main emphasis, is just telling you that I'm gonna die so you can be born again. What his main emphasis was is there's a new way to live right now the first message he ever preached in the ministry jesus stepped up and said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand do we know what that word repent means change the way that you think something is messed up in your brain somebody has told you you're somebody that you're not somebody has trained you to live a certain way that i never intended but now that jesus is back he says now it's all going to change you can change your life now because he's shown up. And he says the kingdom is here. So as we, as we continue on, we want to look at Jesus. And as his disciples followed him, um, there's this important moment that happens in Matthew chapter 16. And I fully believe God is asking his disciples, but he's also still asking us this same question today. But his disciples, as they followed him, they were with him every day. They, they, you know, when they would lay down to sleep, they were all in the same place. Whenever they would wake up, when they would eat, when they would walk and travel, they were always with him. So you think if anybody knows Jesus... These people know Jesus, right? Wrong. We find this in Matthew 16 because he gathers them all around together and he asks them this question. He says, hey, who do people say that I am? Who do, who do they say that the Son of Man is? And like any good disciples, they're like, oh, you're putting us on the spot. Uh, you know, so I guess around town I heard somebody saying that you were like a prophet. Um, some say that you're John the Baptist. And Jesus is probably going, John, he just died. What are you obviously I'm not him you were with both of us at the same time and they're like some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets so then he just cuts to it and he says okay but who do you say that I am now this is a deep profound doctrinal theological question that he's asking because if you're able to answer this question it will set the course for how you interact with him for how you actually fulfill your purpose in his kingdom See, if you misunderstand who this is, who Jesus is, you'll come up with your own theology, you'll come up with your own reasons for things, you'll come up with some kind of weird thoughts. You have to find out who he really is. So he answers this question, Peter answers this question. Peter says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Now, why he didn't chime up the first time, beyond me. But he said, you are the Christ. That word Christ is important. The word Christ, we know, is the Greek equivalent of the word Messiah which means the anointed king and his anointing. Everybody say king. king. He recognized Jesus as 
the returning anointed king. Well, I know it's important. Again, I said I grew up in church, so every service, they're talking about you need a relationship with God. You need a relationship with Jesus. That's what you need, a relationship. But as I got older, I realized there's a lot of different relationships that I have with people, and they're all different. My wife, Danielle, is in the building. My relationship with my wife is way different than my relationship with Pastor Brandon. It's not the same. So it's important to recognize who I am relationshipping with. Is that, that's the thing. Go with it. That'll be the one thing that shows up on Instagram, relationshipping. But you have to know who the relationship is with for you to actually have a functional, appropriate relationship. So for me to just say, have a relationship with Jesus, what kind of relationship? Then we get Christian songs that are singing and songs about his beautiful face and falling in love with Jesus. And as a man, it's kind of weird. I can't really connect. Like, I just gaze into his beautiful eyes. I'm like, I don't gaze into dude's eyes a whole lot. Really at all. I need to clarify that. So we've trying to, the world is trying to reach and find what kind of relationship do we have? But we have to answer the question, who is the relationship with? That'll tell us what type of relationship we're supposed to have. So Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the anointed returned king. You're the ruler. See, that sets a different stage for who Jesus is for these disciples at this point. Before, he's just a man. He's one of the bros. We're walking. Maybe you say good things. You're like a prophet or a good preacher. But at this moment, he's recognizing your words carry authority that I should submit to. Yeah. So Jesus answers him and says, blessed are you. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So he's given him major props. You, you, nailed the, you nailed it on the head. You got it right. So let's look at this next one. John chapter 18. We're asking the question and answering the question, who do you say that he is? Because again, if Jesus is your friend, what he says isn't going to carry the same weight if Jesus is your Lord or Jesus is your king. That's why, even though that he can have a friendship type of relationship with me, I never lose the fact that he's my king. He called Abraham a friend, but never lost his kingship. Because you realize your friendship with God hinges on whether or not you submit to his kingship. You want friendship. Oh, I'm a, I'm a friend of God. Hey, let's just sing the song. But at the end, I can't really connect with that because I know there's a higher relationship that I have. I even tell my own kids, you're going to think I'm mean, but I've said this. My, you know, Charlie looked at me one day and she goes, Dad, you're my best friend. I said, no, I'm not. Don't ever say that. I said, I'm your dad. That relationship carries so much more weight and no one else in the whole world can ever be that to you. That's the most special relationship we can ever have. You can have all friends and best friends all you want, but I'm the only dad you'll ever have. Well, you're still my best friend. No, I'm not. I just said, don't say that. I'm trying to have a moment with you and you're not catching what I'm saying. But seriously, we're trying to connect with God in ways that we deal with our own relationships. We're trying to, is he like a brother? Is he like a best friend? Is he like a, a, you know, a, a spouse? But at the end of the day, who we connect with God as, he is the king who has the right to rule the planet and your life through you. If you can't submit to him, you don't get any of the other relationships. People saying, I'm a friend of God, I'm a friend. People can even call him Lord. And it says in the end, he's going to come and separate the sheep from the goats. And he's going to look at them all and they're going to say, Lord, didn't we do this? They had a Lord relationship, they thought. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Apparently you weren't as close as you thought. 
So we have to define who is he. So here's another just great example of it. Jesus answers his own question here. John chapter 18, verse 33. It says, therefore, Pilate entered again into this place and he summoned Jesus and said to him, "Um, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said, are you saying this on your own initiative or did other people tell you about me? So clearly, if we just kind of pull ourselves out of what I'm saying for a second and just think about the kingdom. The word on the street was Jesus was a king. It wasn't that he was a religious leader. It wasn't that he was God. The word on the street to this guy that didn't even follow his teaching was, he's a king. Okay, cool. So we'll come back here. Pilate says, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. But what have you done? And Jesus answered and said, my kingdom. Say, my kingdom. My kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Then therefore Pilate said to him, so, he just, he, he just asked the clear question. So you are a king. Now this is what I don't like about Bible TV shows. There was this one that came out you know, years ago and they have this whole moment, this is an epic moment. And then Pilate comes in and Jesus is down there in the little prison cell and the guy goes, are you a king? And Jesus, all of a sudden, this light shines on his face, and he looks up and goes. And doesn't answer the question. In the Bible, he actually answers it. He comes here, he says, are you a king? And Jesus says, you say correctly, I am a king. Is Jesus the king? If you disagree, you're disagreeing with Jesus. He said, you say correctly, I am a king. So we have to recognize Jesus' king relationship with us. I want to say another thing about the kingdom in Luke chapter 7. They don't have this scripture, but this was interesting. I was just studying for this. Uh, I love the fact that John the Baptist shows up on the scene and Jesus tells everybody, there has been none greater that has ever lived that is as great as John the Baptist. No other prophet has ever been to the level that John the Baptist is. Why? Because John the Baptist was able to say, repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. He got to usher in what God was working on from the time Adam fell all the way up until this moment. John got to be the one prophet that got to usher in God's kingdom and the king who was to return. And Jesus said, nobody is as as great as John. And his very next sentence is, but the least in the kingdom is greater than John. Think about that for a minute. Are you in the kingdom? Are you the least in the kingdom? We don't even know. You can think of yourself, I'm just the least in the kingdom. I'm I'm no good. But if you're in the kingdom, that means you are greater. You have something in you greater than any prophet that you'll ever read about in the Old Testament. And even John the Baptist and his anointing, you have something greater than that just by being in the kingdom. Yeah, for some reason, we want to just think, oh, well, Jesus will take care of me. You know, one day I'll be with him when... Don't forget there's another throne. Don't forget that there's another person that's supposed to be ruling besides Jesus and besides God's the Father. I'll flip my paper. This is going on YouTube. Everybody else that gets up here has got iPads. I got my paper and it's going to be all right. Jesus spoke some things. So now that, we, now that we understand that he's a king, we're going to start talking about a few things that he does because we have to make a connection that... Sadly, many believers fail to make with the life of Jesus. We can come up and we always can worship and sing and talk about how nothing's impossible for him. He's never lost a battle. He's great. He can never fail. And we all agree with that, right? I mean, do we all agree? No one is greater than God. What gets God stressed? 
What is God's strategy? So let's just take, let's take a second. Everybody think real hard. Can you think of something that makes God feel stress or anxiety? Everybody's just staring because you can't think of something. Because we all know in our minds, he's the highest, he's the greatest. There's nothing can shake him. Nothing gets him all, all you know, riled and upset. He is never wringing his hands wondering what's going to happen. When Adam ate the fruit, he did not go, oh, this throws everything off. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? Oh, my me. <laughs> You'll get that later. <laughs> Nothing's causing him to be stressed. I mean, Jesus shows up in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and he tells, he tells the disciples, behold, all authority has been given to me in heaven and where? See, that's an important one. We miss that. We read it too religiously. We, we breeze through this like heaven and earth. Yeah, pass away. But he says, all authority, how much authority? All. Has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Why does this matter to you? Because then he picks up in Luke chapter 19. Or no, Luke chapter 10, verse 19. He says, behold, I give you authority. Yeah. And he explains some things that he gives them authority of over and then at the very end he says and over all the power of the enemy he's giving that to you so jesus came if i can illustrate this in, in my in my brain the way i'm, I'm going to try to do this so god says i'm going to let man rule man says i'm going to disobey and eats the fruit and since god said let them rule not me god couldn't come down and smack the fruit out of his hand if anybody has little kids, it's not like God was sitting there going, wow, look at this great world I created. Then the angel goes, there's something in your kid's mouth. That's, those are terrible words to hear if your kid's just toddling around and they're brand new. God didn't jump down and, oh, I'm going to dig this out of this. You're going to hurt yourself in the rest of humanity forever. He didn't do that. He let man choose what he was going to do with his path. He let him walk through that path. And God said, I'm going to take what you fell from and I'm going to work this, orchestrate this whole plan to bring myself as a man to restore you back to where you fell from. And it took a long time. But also think about it. If God was co-ruling the earth, why would he have to show up as a man to fix it? As long as we stay submitted to him, that was the plan, that you will rule by staying submitted to him. Those are the rules. That's, the, that's how this, this thing is supposed to play out. You submit to God, and by doing that, you have this delegated authority to rule here. So God said, for me to do something on the planet rightfully, I have to show up as a man because man has the right to rule. So he says, I've been given back all authority. Jesus has come as this perfect person, right? We know that he is the son of the living God. He has come and he has been born of a virgin with no tainted sin seed. He's a man that knew no sin. And we all say, that's Jesus. Wow. But we miss the fact that he's our example, which means whatever he is, is the perfect picture of what you're supposed to be once you get in him. See, Jesus walks in and goes and touches somebody and they get raised from the dead. Or he just speaks out to Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come forth. He's raised from the dead. And we're like, wow, look at God moving. You're like, and then he says, you go raise the dead. And you're like, Jesus does that. That's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Jesus. Okay. Jesus is going and he's, he's wanting provision. He multiplies things to get provision to happen. Or Jesus goes in and he sees somebody sick and lays hands on them and they're healed. Then he says, now, now that I'm here and I've shown you what to do and I'm your example, you go lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. So then somebody gets sick and we forget yeah. who's on the throne. Right. 
You say, brother, I would never forget God's on the throne. Ah, you've forgotten somebody else is there too. For some reason throughout time, there was this throne established for mankind to rule from that over the ages and over the time passing away, that thing grew vines and grew old and was neglected. And when Jesus showed back up, he revealed to man, what you lost has been returned, now enter in. So much so that Jesus said, you're going to be so much like me that when I leave, greater things than I've ever done, you'll do. I knew that wasn't going to get a ton of amens because I know it doesn't get a ton of amens when you're looking at your house and you're looking in the morning in the mirror and looking at yourself. You forget who you are. You get a bill in the mail and you forgot. You forgot you're on the throne. You forgot you were born to dominate and rule over your circumstances and you're like, I don't know what we're going to do. It's like one of my favorite, favorite stories that Pastor Angie has told it's a Bible story. It's not about your personal life. Um, <laughs> the woman that, that the prophet came to and she said, I just have a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour left and we're going to make these cakes and die. And you're like, man, how sad. But Pastor Angie's like, think about it in modern terms. Like you get a bill and you're like, I just have a little bit of money left. I'm going to pay my water bill and then we're going to die. Those are really sad. Like that's it? That's all you've got? You're going to die? But how many believers really find themselves in this spot? And don't raise your hand, that'd be embarrassing. But you're looking in the mirror and you're, you're not thinking, you're a king. You're a queen. You were born to rule. This day has to submit to you, not you submitting to the day. I'm dealing with problems. I got problems, you know, family problems. I got work problems and stuff. How would a king respond to these problems? The worst is when people are like, oh, the devil's really getting after me. You've never read the Bible? Why are you letting him do anything? Jeez, if we look at the life of Jesus and how, he, and how this story plays out, we've got plenty of time. We've got three o'clocks a long ways away. If we look at the life of Jesus and see things, the people that are, I don't know, there's people that are genuinely scared about, what if I ever got possessed by a demon? People have had that fear. People in this church, I'm not pointing to anybody, but I'm just saying people are like, oh man, what if that ever happened? You have no idea who you are. Think about it. What did they do when Jesus showed up? That's what they should do when you show up. When Jesus walks out, he gets off the boat and steps, uh, uh, steps out onto this thing where there's this guy that has a legion of demons, thousands of demons. And Jesus steps out on the beach. And what did that guy do? He came running at him. And do you think Jesus braced himself and was like, what's going to happen with this? No, that guy came and ran and dove and fell at his feet and said, have mercy on us, master. Yeah, we got people that say they're believers that say, oh, I had this encounter and this person was demon possessed and, the, and then they were, they were, you know, really arguing with me back and forth and, the, and they were really giving me a hard time. Well, that don't sound like Jesus. Don't sound like you know where you're seated. There's an authority that's way higher. He said, I'm giving you authority that we just read over all the power of the enemy. How much of the power of the enemy? All. That's a big word. That's a word if we're going to define it. You need to write this down. Get your pens, get your pencils if you don't write anything else down. All means inclusive of everything. <laughs> that's what it means. That's all you need to write down. So when he said all the power of the enemy, that means there's nothing the enemy can have in his domain that you don't have actual power over and authority over. I didn't plan on talking about all that demon stuff, but that was good. 
John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Let's pull that one up. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. We have to make a connection, and I truly believe in my heart the message that God wanted for, this, for, for today is really to echo the theme that we've had throughout the year, which is seated. Seated. We all know God's seated on the throne. We know that. We, if you walk out in our lobby, there's like a golden throne. And there's these banners. And it's all royal looking. It's awesome. It took a long time to make. You should thank the media team. They're awesome. Um, but on top of that, I'm part of the media team. You're welcome. Um, on, on top of that throne, there's a Bible that's open to a passage of Scripture that talks about how we should be seated. Yet again, I would ask, do we really always make the connection or do we sometimes forget that whatever God is, that includes us? First John, here it is. First John chapter four, verse 17 says, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, who's he? Jesus. As he is, so are we where? On this planet. This is not something we're looking forward to later. If you receive him in your life as Lord, you confess him with your mouth and you believe in your heart and you, and you become born again, this is your life. As he is, so are we. So the question again, what causes God to stress? What gives him anxiety? What does he worry about? You know where we're going. And it's embarrassing. What causes you stress? What causes you to worry? What do you get worked up about? I'm making this face. They're going to make this the thumbnail. I know it. It's nerve-wracking, y'all. I'm going to be on the internet. What makes him, what makes him nervous what gives you the right to be nervous? Well, you don't know what I'm going through. Come on. I know that whatever it is, you're above it. As he is, so are we. Does somebody need help? You think, man, they need Jesus. Well, just so happens that he left somebody here to be him. Because as he is, so are we. But where? Where is this? In this world. Again, this kingdom comes to empower your daily living on the planet. And I know, I know it's going to, it's, for anybody that's your first time, we love you. We're glad you're here. And it's a wild day. It's not normally like this. I don't know. Maybe it is. <laughs> but there's this thing at the end of the book that if you're concerned about going to heaven and that's what you really want is just make sure that one day I'm going to be with God, there's no doubt and it's irrefutable that we've, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if you do pass away and you're part of his kingdom, you'll be with the king. But you won't be there forever. Your eternity is actually going to be spent, I know this may be bad news, on this planet. It all comes back here. I can tell there's some religion in the room probably saying, no, 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 brother. No, I've watched all the Left Behind movies. I know how this works. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, if you read it yourself, you'll realize that even when we're caught away, we're caught away for a little while, and then we come right back. Because he says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And guess who's going to be on that new earth? You are. I am. We're all going to be back here. So if you don't like it here, Get used to it. <laughs> Amen. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. This is fun. 
We have to make the connection between God can and we can. Ephesians chapter 1, one of my favorite passages, starting in verse 17. It says, And that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Why? Because we have to know who he is. We need to have it revealed to us like Peter had, that revealed that he is the king, that he's the ruler. We need, we need this in our lives. Then once that happens, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. This sounds very nice and churchy, but let's really look at what it really is saying. So that your eyes would be enlightened. That means that you would have an understanding and that you would have a real knowledge about the hope of his calling. That word hope doesn't mean it's a wish or a dream. Hope means a confident expectation. So if we're going to look into this and say that you'll know the hope of his calling, that means what can I confidently expect my life to be like once he's called me into his kingdom? We need to pray that God illuminate my mind. Let me know what all it entails for me to live to my fullest in your kingdom. But then he goes on. He says, and what are the riches of the glory? glory, glory. I've been yelling this whole time. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Are we the saints? You have an inheritance. Have you tapped into it? Did you know that when you got the last bill that you got? Or did you forget? Okay. And what is the surpassing? Say surpassing. surpassing. Did you know God's not able to exaggerate? If he exaggerated, it would make him a liar. So if you, we read a word like this in the Bible, recognize it's on purpose and it can't be a lie. So it's not that we're just here finding out what is the greatness of his power. We're here to find the surpassing greatness. That means nothing can touch it. It's so far greater than anything you can describe with the word great that we had to say surpassing greatness of his power towards who? Nope. Y'all don't get it. I can tell. It would have been like way louder. The surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Do you believe? Do you realize that his power towards you, if you're just a believer, is surpassingly great. Nothing can comprehend to what he's put in you and what he has towards you. Do we really live this way or do we live a way like we forgot that it's surpassing greatness? Okay, we'll keep going. These things are in in accordance with the working of the strength of his might that he brought about in Christ when he raised him. Say raised. Raised. And he raised him from the dead and seated him. Say seated. Seated. At the right hand, at his right hand in heavenly places. So where is Jesus? When Jesus died and then was buried and then raised up, he was raised to be seated. He was raised to be seated. Seated. He was raised. We're going to keep doing this, literally only this, until you say seated super loud. He was raised to be seated. Thank you. He was raised to be seated far in heavenly places at God's right hand, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one which is to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's our Jesus. Come on, that's our Jesus. He is seated. God raised him up and seated him at his right hand. So that means not only is God on the throne, but right next to the throne is another throne. 
And everybody will agree, Jesus is on the throne. Right? Right? And where and this throne is not just above. It's far above. We'll get there. We'll go. Let's go. Let's go a little further in Ephesians. Because we'll come back to that. And then you'll actually understand what we're reading. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It's talking about what we were before we got born again and this transition that takes place once we're born again. It says, and you were dead. Say, I was dead. In your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, and among all, uh, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, that were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God. He said, but. My children are going to watch this, and I go, it's not that kind. But God means God changes the narrative here of what you were. There's a shift. You were like this, but God came in. And it says being rich in his mercy because of his great love in which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together. We're going to stop. There's that word together. Together. Do we understand? Do we get together? Do I need to go look up, you know, Google Webster's Dictionary? Do we all understand together and what that means? That means we weren't separate, that we were included in this. That we were raised, that we were made alive together with Christ, in Christ, with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up. Okay, pause there. Let's go back. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Anytime that we're reading something about Jesus, he's still asking the question, who do you say that I am? Because you'll never understand who you are in him if you don't know who he is. You have to be, realize when you got born again, you got put in Christ. In the Old Testament, they, they were, God was with them. He was for them. He did stuff. You know, he, he, would, he would come around and communicate with them. But in the New Testament, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ enabled something more for you. And that is that he would not be with you. He'd be in you and that you would be in him and that you would be inseparable so that when somebody looked at you, they would see the same Jesus because as he is, so are we in this world. So whenever we start reading about what Christ is doing right now, because he didn't, he's not dead. <laughs> he died, but then he's raised again. So he's alive and whatever he's doing, we're included in it. So it says that he raised him up far above Next verse, right? Next one. Yes, he seated him at his right, God seated Jesus at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, every name that is named, yada, yada, yada. Then he says, he raised us up together with Christ and seated us in Christ in heavenly places. Where is Christ? He's at the right hand of the Father, far above. If you're in him and with him, where are you? Come on, where are you at? Whenever something comes into your life, or do you realize you're far above? See, here's the problem. I was religious. Listen, listen, I was religious. We sang songs about stomping on the devil's head. And we'd do this, and the whole church would walk around, we'd stomp on the devil's head, and, you know, and talk about, oh, you know, he's really trying, you know, devil's nipping at my heels trying to get me, and I'm going to stomp on him and crush his head. When, if you read scripture, that actually doesn't make any sense. He's not close enough. Come on. He says, 
far above. Again, that's not an exaggerated word, far. He doesn't say, you're just above where the devil's at. And sometimes if he, gets, if he, if he crosses that line, you can hit him in the face. That's not what he's saying. He said, you're far above all rule. There's nothing that can even come close to where you're at. You're so high up there, the devil can't even tell what kind of shoes you're wearing. I would have to come way down to even get close to stump on his head. That's ridiculous. I'm just going to say that. Anytime we read that, I thought, nah, we're far above. Okay, so let's jump back to Ephesians chapter 2. Because again, there's a throne next to God's throne that Jesus is on, but we've forgotten that throne is our throne. Not only are we destined to rule here, but we're destined to rule over everything in Christ. There is nothing that Jesus, you know, there's nothing that we could deal with that Jesus hasn't overcome, and there's, that means there's nothing we can't overcome. We sing songs, nothing's impossible for God. So what's impossible for you? Why don't we connect that? That's what this whole year and this whole kingdom thing has been about. If we're going to have a revival in our city and in our nation, we have to revive in ourselves connecting that what God can do, I can do because I'm in God. It says that he made us alive together in Christ. Say, in Christ. Christ. With Christ, by grace you've been saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Multiple times he's talked about your position of where you are. In Christ. Say, in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Christ. Next time you look at yourself in the mirror, you're like, oh, man, it's going to be a rough day. Remind yourself, wait, no, it's not. I'm in Christ. What could cause Jesus to have a bad day? What could cause the king to say, I got to get up off my throne and come, you know, down here. It's it's rough. Yeah, let's sit together. I don't need God to come down off his throne and come get on my level. I need to be reminded by the Holy Ghost what my level should be, and I should rise to it. Let's look at Isaiah. This is fun. This is a fun one. Isaiah chapter 55. Starting at verse 7, it says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have love, pity, and mercy for him, and to our God, for he will multiply to him his abundant pardon. So then we get to verse 8, and we quote this in churches a lot. And I heard this all growing up. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And if I had a problem, people would come and say, well, brother, his ways are higher than our ways. Brother, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, you know, can't really, what are we going to say? When once the kingdom was awakened in me, this scripture for my personal life became a challenge. If his ways are higher than my ways, why would I not want to elevate my ways? If the way he thinks is higher than the way I think, why would I not want to raise my thinking to his level? We come and have this whole conference of kingdom rise. Well, what's rising? God ain't rising. He's risen. God's not moving. And he has risen once and for all not to come back down to our level. Because when he comes and takes us away, he's not going to just come down here and, oh, I'm going to be with you, it's bad, let's all just suffer together. No, he's going to come and raise us to where he is. 
But again, when you got born again, his thoughts, his ways, all of these things have opened up for you because this is an Old Testament scripture. His ways are higher than our thoughts. This is an Old Testament prophet that we already learned. John the Baptist ushered in the kingdom of God, which is a whole new dispensation, a whole new territory, and he's greater than any other prophet. So then whoever is the least in the kingdom is even greater than him, which means whatever this mystery was is no longer a mystery for believers right now. Because later we find where Paul says we have the mind of Christ. Now that doesn't mean when you get born again, your brain, he takes your brain out and puts in a brand new brain. That's a Jesus brain. What that means is that we have this. This is the mind of Christ. This is the way that God thinks. This is the way that God acts. This is God's plans. This is what God originally wanted for man. This is how to get there. We have this. It's your responsibility to do what Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says is transform your life by changing the way you think and renewing your mind to God's word. We have to do that. We have to make that connection. So let's look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We got water baptism today. And I'm telling you, the power and the symbolism of water baptism is really taking and saying, I, I accept the work that Jesus did whenever he died, when he was buried, and when he was raised again. He was... He died, he was buried, he was raised. That's exactly what water baptism is. That if somebody comes over here, they're saying, I've accepted Jesus and, and as my Lord. He's my master. I recognize his authority and my relationship with him as king. I'll submit to his rule in his kingdom. And then I'm going to go through this symbolism of being dead, buried, and then raised back up. But you know, the powerful analogy and the, and the picture that we get from water baptism isn't that you were dead and then you're raised up just to live your life. He didn't just raise Jesus up and Jesus still walking around. He raised him to be seated. When you got born again, you were raised up together with Christ and you were raised to be seated. And then when you get water baptized today, if anybody's getting water baptized, no, you don't come out of the water raised just to keep living your life. You come raised to be seated, to be seated in a position of authority that's far above anything the enemy can throw at you. So that's why we can read Romans chapter eight, verse five. It says, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death why would you want to set your mind on the flesh but the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God but for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so and those who are in the flesh cannot please God however you are not in the flesh say I'm not in the flesh but you're in the spirit and indeed if the spirit of God dwells in you if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ. He does not dwell in you. Why am I saying all this about the way we think? Because for some reason in our minds, we've forgotten that there's another throne and that when I was born again, I was seated on that throne. So we have to do what Colossians chapter three says, taking our minds, not on the flesh, putting them on the spirit, then do Colossians three. It says, therefore, if you have been, Colossians chapter three, therefore, if you have been Raised up with Christ. Is that us this morning? Come on. Have you been raised up with Christ? Have you risen in this kingdom to the place with Christ? If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things where? Where Christ is. Keep seeking the things above. Why? Because that's where you're actually at. 
For you to seek the things of the earth and be looking over the news and looking over the current events all the time and only pouring over that and not setting your mind in a place that's a higher authority because no, there's bad stuff going to happen in the last days. We're not exempt from it happening around us, but I'll tell you what we are exempt from is that it's power and authority having any kind of dominion over us. Well, I'm seated above it. Is it a power? Is it a name? Is it an authority? Is it something? I'm above it. So we've got to make the connection. When you look at yourself, say, I'm above it. Something comes up to you, somebody tells you something and tells you off and how terrible you are, you say, I'm above this. The enemy comes in and says, remember what you used to do? You ain't no good. I'm above that. How'd you get up here? Get off. Get down. You can't really kick him, he's far away. But seated at the right hand of God. So set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are in God. You are not something that is with God. We can sing songs about, you know, God with us, and that's great. He is with us, but there's something that's better, that he's in me. When, when, the, when the spirit world comes around looking, you, you remember there was the seven sons of Sceva, right? And the, the, the demons came and they were going to try to cast out a demon. And those demons said, we've heard about Paul, because he said, we cast you out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches about. He used all the right words. But they said, we know about Jesus, we know about Paul, but we don't know you. And it was a problem. And they ran away naked. You understand that the spirit world knows where you're seated. Why would we not raise our, our thinking and renew our minds to remind ourselves, don't forget the throne. You will always live defeated if you forget where you're seated. Always. Anytime someone comes with this challenge, oh, you know, it's really, I'm really getting down. Oh, I'm depressed. Oh, I'm, you have forgotten that you are far above. Where is your mind? Your, why is your mind set on this problem? Even this morning, Pastor Abel's talking about magnifying the Lord. Magnifying. What does that mean? I grew up hearing that all the time. Magnify the Lord. I had magnifying glasses as a kid. I don't know what all that meant. But really all you're saying is just in your mind, let God and what he's doing be bigger than what you're what everything else you're focusing on. Let your focus zoom in on God and set your mind on things above where Christ is. Because that's actually where you are. Anytime you see Christ, that's where you are. So again, what causes Jesus to stress? Nothing. Last scripture that I'll share with you before we close, if you want to, um, if you're gonna get water baptized today, if you want to go out and get ready, well, you can take this time, go out there, get changed, get your towel, you're going to get super wet, so just know that. I don't know what kind of church you got baptized in before, but this one, you go all the way under and all the way up. But in 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 through 13, when I was a kid and we would sit around youth, youth group, I had some friends that were trashy friends. They, they did all kind of trashy stuff. And then we'd sit around and have a testimony night and they'd say, here's what God did. You know, I was in drugs or I was, you know, having this kind of lascivious behavior and God saved me. And I grew up in church and didn't really make a lot of stupid choices. So anytime they'd say, what's your testimony? I felt like I didn't have a testimony. But I don't know, like... I said a cuss word at the dog one time. Like, I, you know, that's, that doesn't hit hard in a group full of kids that are, you know, doing stuff. But then I read 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 through 13, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote it real briefly. He says, this is the testimony that we have. So automatically, God's telling you that all of us, no matter what we've been through, all of us have this same testimony. And that is that God has given us eternal life. 
He says, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. And he says, these things I have written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. All of these words are present tense words. They're not future tense. He doesn't say you you will have eternal life. He says it is right now. So if you are in Christ, if you've been born again, right now you have the Zoe life of God, the same quality of God that same quality of life that God has, that Jesus has, you can have right now, and we'll have the same testimony. No matter where you came from, we've all ended on the note of we have eternal life together. Thanks again so much for listening to this episode. If you'd like to get more of our content, you can subscribe wherever you're listening, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. You can also watch our weekend messages at youtube.com forward slash anchor faith when they air every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Subscribe to us so you never miss a message and leave us a comment or a like. It really does help. You sharing, rating, and commenting on this podcast and any of our content is the best way to keep it in circulation for others to be influenced with this message of God's kingdom. So please consider sending a link to friends and family, sharing on social media, or simply giving us a rating. And finally, if you'd like more information about Anchor Faith Church and support the work we're doing from St. Augustine, Florida in igniting the city, impacting the nation, and influencing the world, you can visit us at anchorfaith.com. 